And now I invite you to stand wherever you are, if you're able, for reading from God's word. This morning I'll be reading from John chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. Jesus said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. And now continuing with verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And now verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. This moment that we find ourselves in, this coronavirus pandemic has filled our hearts and has filled our minds with question after question. Questions that are practical like, how long is this pandemic gonna last? How long is our city going to be on lockdown? Will I get sick? Will my family get sick? Will the economy recover? Will I have a job when this is all over? Will my kids ever go back to school? And then there are the deeper questions. Questions that perhaps some of you are asking for the first time in a long time. 
Questions like I even found myself asking just a few weeks ago when I was tested positive for the coronavirus. Questions like, where is God in all of this? How long will he let the suffering continue? If God is sovereign and he is good, then why? Why is he allowing this to happen? And now, of course, I'm exceedingly grateful that I am fully recovered that my symptoms for COVID-19 were very mild and I'm now no longer contagious. In fact, I'm said to be immune. I'm grateful for that, but now I am asking a new question. I find myself asking, why me? Why has God shown me such grace and such kindness when others who've gotten the disease have suffered so much? The uneasy truth about all of these questions, the one thing that they have in common is that the answer is we simply do not know. We hate not having the answer to our questions. We hate not knowing what is to come. We hate not knowing the answer to why is God allowing this to happen? And there in those moments when we ask these questions, when we're crying out and there's just silence, we're tempted to try to come up with answers on our own. And so this morning, I want you to ask a question of the questions that are there nagging at your soul. I want you to begin to ask, what do we do when there just aren't any answers? You see, there are some questions that we simply do not know. When we face a world of uncertainty, like the world that we are facing right now, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, maybe we're not asking the right questions. You see, because in times of uncertainty, in times when we do not know what the answer is, there are questions certain questions that we absolutely can answer. That is why over these past several weeks, we've turned our attention to the character and attributes of God. That though our world is chaotic, our God never changes. His character, his attributes, who he is, good and sovereign and merciful. Those things never change. And it's also why this Holy Week, as we begin this important week for us as Christians, we are turning our attention from the uncertainty of this world to the most important question we could ever ask. Who is Jesus Christ? This morning on Palm Sunday, We're going to ask that question, who is Jesus Christ, in three ways. First, we're going to ask, who do you think that Jesus is? Second, we're going to ask, who do you think that you are? And third, the most important question of all, who does Jesus say that he is? 
So the first way we're going to ask this question, who is Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? I want you to look there in your bulletin or take a Bible and turn to John chapter 8. We'll look at verse 23 together. Jesus said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Now, as we begin this reading, what I want you to realize is we are jumping into the middle of a dialogue between Jesus and a bunch of Jewish people who were hearing him speak. And and all the while in John chapter 8, Jesus has been trying to explain who he really is. The people do not understand. He's been trying to explain that he is the son of God sent to take away the sins of the world. And so Jesus is trying to help them to understand because they have a lack of understanding. Jesus is from above. We are from below. Right off the bat, we have to realize that the reason why people don't truly understand who Jesus is is because he is unlike any other human being who has ever existed. And this is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. He says that you are not of this world. Or he says, you are of this world. I am not of this world. We're different. I come from my father in heaven, and yet you are of the world around us. You are of, from below. I am from above. And so what we have to realize is that answering the question, who is Jesus, is not as simple as it might seem. We have to recognize that we are starting from a place of deficiency and great dependence. We must begin by asking ourselves, not just who is Jesus, but who do I think Jesus is? Because the truth is, every single one of us have assumptions about who we think Jesus really is. And these assumptions have made Jesus in our image rather than the image of God. Who you think, who you assume Jesus to be could not be more important. Jesus puts it in these terms in verse 24. I want you to look with me. Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The stakes about who you believe Jesus is could not be higher. Jesus says that every single one of us will die in our sins. Everyone. Every person on this planet, including me, is a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus says that every single one of us deserves death. Every one of us will die in our sins unless, here's the good news, unless, Jesus says, you believe that I am he. Notice what Jesus says. Unless you believe that I am he. In other words, you will not die in your sin if you have faith. Unless you believe. What does Jesus say we have to believe? We have to believe that he is. 
Now, what does that mean? Well, in the Greek, literally what Jesus says is, unless you believe that I am. Now, there are some translations that try to make this sound a little bit less awkward, a little bit less wooden. So, for example, the translation we're using this morning is the English Standard Version, the ESV. It's the translation we use every single Sunday. This is what it says. Unless you believe that I am he. Some of you this morning might be using the NIV. The NIV says, unless you believe I am the one I claim to be. But I actually think that these translations are not that helpful. Though they try to help us say something as we're reading it that sounds a little bit less awkward or archaic, it's not really what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. You see, what we might not realize is Jesus is alluding to who he is. He's alluding to a title that God gave himself in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, as we will see in just a few moments, God declared that he is the great I am. And so already what Jesus is doing is he is alluding to the fact that he is God. He is making a claim of divinity. He is saying, you don't understand what I have been saying this entire time. I am not of this world because I am God. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the Jews who heard him say this? Now at this point, he's just kind of alluding to it. He's just skipping a rock across the pond. They're still not quite comprehending what he's saying. But Jesus in this moment, he's claiming to be God. And it's this claim that makes Jesus unlike any other teacher or leader that this world has ever seen. This is why C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says that Jesus' claim to be God means that you can't just say he was a good moral teacher. The fact that Jesus claimed to be God means that he is either a liar, which would make him evil, or he's a lunatic and he's absolutely crazy, or he really is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of the living God. The question for you and I this morning is this, who do you think Jesus is? This is the question that the crowds then asked Jesus. Verse 25, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just who I've been telling you from the very beginning. You see, they did not understand who Jesus was. They did not understand because they already had made so many assumptions and they had so many expectations of what they thought Jesus should be. The problem with that is that none of them were true. Let me show you what I mean. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day in our church calendar where we celebrate the triumphal entry The triumphal entry also happens to be one of the greatest examples of the way that we can misunderstand Jesus. 
John chapter 12 tells the story of the triumphal entry. I'll begin reading in verse 12 if you want to follow along. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast and they heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So here is Jesus. This is one week before his crucifixion. And he is riding into Jerusalem in triumph. He is riding into Jerusalem with a parade of victory, like a victorious king returning from battle. And what we have to ask is, why is Jesus coming into Jerusalem being celebrated? And only a week later, he's crucified. How could these people herald him as king? How could they cry out, Hosanna, and just a week later cry out, crucify him? The answer to that question is in the palm branch, the great symbol of the triumphal entry. You see, in those days, the palm branch was a patriotic symbol of victory. In ancient Greece, palm branches were used as a way to celebrate victorious athletes. During the Maccabean era, palm branches were also used the rededication of the temple. During the Roman wars, the palm branch became a symbol for the rebels. In other words, as these people are waving palm branches at Jesus, they are showing their assumptions. They are putting their expectations on him. You see, they had pinned all of their earthly, worldly, political, and nationalistic hopes on Jesus. They expected that Jesus would come and establish an earthly kingdom. They expected that Jesus would give them political victory. They expected that Jesus would come and help them in the way that they thought they should be helped. But what they re didn't realize is they had a far greater need. And so they cried out, Hosanna, which means save us. They were quoting from Psalm 118, but what you might not realize is then they added to the psalm and they said, even the king of Israel. Yes, they were honoring Jesus as a victorious king, but they expected Jesus to come and free them from their own political agenda. And what they did not understand is that Jesus came to free them from something that is far greater. And so friends, this morning, the question is, what assumptions do you have about Jesus? The questions that you're asking during this pandemic, what do they reveal about your expectations of him? Who do you think Jesus is? The second question that we have to ask is, who do I think I am? Who do you think you are? Back in John 8, Jesus, in his own subtle way, has claimed to be God. So the people ask, well, who are you? 
They had assumptions about who Jesus is. They also had assumptions about who they were. And they reveal these assumptions in John 8, beginning in verse 31. I want you to look with me. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now I want you to notice who Jesus is addressing at this point. We're told that he's addressing some Jews in the crowd who had believed him. In other words, they had taken him at his word. They were beginning to actually trust what he was saying. And so to these people, he's trying to help them understand what genuine faith looks like. And so he gives them a picture. What is genuine faith? If you're going to believe the words of Jesus, what does faith really look like? Well, in a word, it's discipleship. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. Now, I think today, many Christians think that there are basically two categories of Christianity. There's the kind of normal, everyday Christian, ordinary Christian, the one who just believes. And then there are the disciples. The disciples are kind of these upper echelon kind of people, right? These kind of Christian weirdos, these people who totally sell out. And not every Christian is called to be a disciple. That's what many people think. But what Jesus is saying here is that that is absolutely not true. What Jesus is saying is, look, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're, if you're going to profess faith in me as your savior, what Jesus is saying is to be a Christian is to be a disciple. Now, what's a disciple? Well, the word disciple simply means follower. And so in other words, what Jesus is saying is, look, if you're going to have genuine faith, faith always means that you're going to follow. Faith never just stands by itself. Though we are saved by faith alone, faith is never alone. It always produces Holy Spirit transformed action. Genuine faith leads us to follow Jesus as his disciples. And so Jesus is trying to help these people who are beginning to maybe trust him at his word. He's now calling them to follow. He's now calling them to discipleship. And so how do they respond? How do they respond to Jesus' call to discipleship? We see in verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? In other words, these people who thought they were beginning to believe, when they heard that having faith in Jesus means following Jesus, then they said, well, we don't need that. We don't need to be your disciples, Jesus. We don't need to abide in your word. We don't need to be rescued from slavery. We don't need to be set free. Why? Because we're children of Abraham. We already have everything that we need. You see, they thought that everything was fine. They thought that they were good. They thought they were righteous before God because of their genealogy, because of something that they had inherited 
from their fathers and their fathers before them traced all the way back to Abraham. They assumed that God's promise to Abraham and to his offspring was just something that you could inherit. They didn't realize that what they needed to inherit was a genuine faith of their own. And you say, well, that kind of sounds crazy. Like, why would anybody think that they were good and righteous before God because of their heritage? But I cannot tell you how many people I meet who say that they are a Christian because that's what they grew up with. That when they look at all the different options that are out there, all the different religions, they just check the Christian box because that's the safest. It's the one they were brought up with. It's the one that they know. In other words, there are Christians who claim to follow Christ, who claim to believe not because they are genuine believers and the Holy Spirit has given them the gift of faith, but because their beliefs have only been inherited. In the last few years, one of the most interesting cultural obsessions I've seen is Ancestry.com. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's these home DNA kits where you send in your saliva, your spit, and they're supposed to then report back to you your genealogy. They're going to tell you where you come from. They're going to tell you your heritage. Now, first of all, I have my doubts. I mean, how do we know that our spit is not just going to some teenage kid in a basement somewhere, just collecting those things, and he's randomly generating a bunch of heritage percentages and sending them back to us. But what, what I do think is so fascinating about this is it's really tapped into this innate desire in all of us. We want to know where we come from, we want to know our heritage. We want to know because it gives us a sense of identity. It might even give us a sense of pride. After all, that's the allure, right? I mean, what if, what if we find out that you're related to a king way back in your history? What if you find out that you're related to someone famous? But that's just the thing. Just because you find out you're related to a king doesn't mean that you are now living in royalty. And just because you find out that you're related to someone famous doesn't mean that you are now famous. It's just borrowed fame. And just because you are a child of Abraham by birthright doesn't mean that you act like one or that you have the faith of Abraham. This is what Jesus is wanting us to see about discipleship. The problem with discipleship, the problem with following Jesus, is it means in order to follow Jesus, we have to leave this world behind. Many people call this the cost of discipleship, but Jesus is actually teaching us about the cost of non discipleship. You see, it's not a cost that we would follow Jesus. We might feel that way because we're so entrenched to this world. But what Jesus wants us to see is there is a greater cost to not following him. And this is what he says in verse 34. 
Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So who do you think you are? Who do you assume that you are? Do you think that you're good enough? That you're righteous before God? That you're a Christian just because you've inherited a belief that's been borrowed What Jesus wants you to realize this morning is that outside of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, you are a slave and I am one too. Jesus says that you and I are slaves to sin. Slave has held us captive. It has held its claws deep into our souls and it has not let go. And what he wants us to see is that he is the son of God and he has come to transform you from being a slave to sin to now becoming sons and daughters. And so the third and final question that we have to ask, we have to ask, who does Jesus say that he is? Not just who do I think Jesus is, Or who do I think I am? But who does Jesus say that he is? In light of Jesus' teaching, it become clear that the Jews in the crowd, they didn't understand. And when they didn't understand, they do what all of us do when we're asking questions and we're not getting answers that we like. We attack the ones in power. And this is what they did. They went after Jesus. I want you to look at John 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? I love this because they're picking the two worst things they could possibly compare Jesus to and their minds. You've got to be a Samaritan, this group of people that all Jews hated. Not only are you a Samaritan, Jesus, but you've got to be possessed by a demon. Jesus answers, verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 51, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If they were confused before, now they are completely dumbfounded. Jesus told them that everyone would die in their sin. And now he's telling them if they keep his word, they would never see death. And so verse 52, the Jesus said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and did the prophets. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Notice the inflection of their question. They're not just curious anymore. Who are you, Jesus? But now their question almost is accusatory. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who are you really, Jesus? Jesus finally answers them in verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is now clearly 
telling these Jewish listeners who he is. Before Abraham was, I am. It would have been clear to them because they knew the scriptures. They knew Exodus chapter 3 verse 13. When Moses comes to God and says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to them. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses asks God, What is your name? And God gives Moses this name. I am who I am. For Jesus to say before Abraham was, I am. He's not just saying he lived before Abraham. If that was true, he would have just said, before Abraham was, I was. No, he's saying, before Abraham was, I am. He is giving himself the very name of God. Jesus is declaring, he is proclaiming, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who is reigning over heaven and the earth, the one who has come to save you from your sins, the one who will one day come to make all things new. Jesus Christ is saying, I am the great. I am. He is God. Who does Jesus say that he is? The Gospel of John, Jesus will use these words, I am, seven more times. And this Holy Week, we will be looking at these seven statements that Jesus makes. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Who is Jesus Christ? This Holy Week, we will focus our questions on the one who has the answer. We will focus and turn our questions to Jesus Christ, and we will ask, who is Jesus And we will see that he has told us who he is. 2,000 years later, not much has changed. We have so many assumptions about who we think Jesus is. So many assumptions about who we think we are. And so during this pandemic, as we're asking questions that we do not know the answer to, as we are waving palm branches of Jesus, expecting him to do something for us when he has come to do something far greater, I want you to know that there is another triumphal entry in the Bible, a greater triumphal entry to come. The triumphal entry when Jesus Christ comes again as a victorious king who has conquered sin and death and the devil and has made all things new. Revelation chapter seven tells us that when he comes again, all of heaven will have palm branches again and they will lay them at his feet and they will cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb.
So brothers and sisters, friends, lay your palm branches at the feet of Jesus this morning. Lay your uncertainties and your doubts, lay your questions and your fears, lay your anxieties and your worries at the foot of Jesus and see him for who he is. He is the son of God, the great I am, the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would stir in our hearts, that you would work your word deep into our souls and that we would hear the words of Jesus, that we would see Jesus for who he says he is and that we would place our faith, our trust and our hope in him. We ask this, that you would work through your Holy Spirit. Give us faith this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.